This series is presented by Humankind Public Radio in association with the BTS Center, funding provided by the Henry Luce Foundation. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. You're listening to the Spiritual Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. This time, pastoral services to members of the military. bear your soul you can share your secrets with uh, a chaplain and he or she you know will will treat them with respect and 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 keep them uh, safe that doesn't mean to say that people will bear their souls uh, immediately and of course not everybody needs to do that but um, over a period of time my experience is that people will um, people will open up and trust more if you know if if you've earned that trust That's Ian Wheatley speaking from the Ministry of Defense in Westminster, central London. He's chaplain of the fleet for the Royal Navy and an archdeacon in the Anglican Church. Reverend Wheatley joined the British Navy at age 19, became a line officer, and then left the service to enter parish ministry. Some years later, he rejoined the military and now leads the Royal Navy Chaplaincy Service. Sailors bring to chaplains such concerns as family back home, moral questions about warfare, and trying to understand humanitarian problems like the recent migrant crisis in Europe. Tragically, we've seen uh, thousands in the space of just one year drown in the Mediterranean from these boats sinking, pregnant women, children, elderly people, all sorts. Europe says it comes down to these people smugglers who are charging thousands of euros, uh, tens of thousands of dollars. They make a The lot of spectacle money. of refugees forced onto unseaworthy vessels fleeing for their lives was deeply disturbing to many of the British sailors who witnessed it. Reverend Ian Wheatley. I think in a military context, you, you can normally have a reasonable understanding uh, of what's happening. You can do a certain amount of rationalising uh, that these poor people on this raft are searching for a better life. You know, there are bad, there are bad people further down the food chain who've stuck them on a raft and taken all their money, uh, and they're they're fleeing uh, something difficult and, and looking for something better. Uh, and you know, the net result of all this somehow, uh, you, you know, is has resulted from man's inhumanity to um, their fellow man. But coming to terms with that kind of tragedy can lead sailors into deep spiritual questioning about the nature of good and evil. It's a process that chaplains may be called upon to help sailors in Britain's Navy work through. Regardless of people's sort of faith or uh, background position, you know, that it's sat in a a raft, for example, um, we we need to understand uh, and experience them as human beings just like us. And then to understand them as human beings loved by God takes it another step further. Does that make it any easier to bear? No, of course it doesn't. But at least it gives us a a way uh, of dealing with people, uh, you know, morally, and, and, and it makes it almost perhaps more easy for some people to reach out to them particularly for those people who have come from perhaps a fairly sheltered background, who've never 
experienced suffering like this before, and I hope that many have not um, and, and, and will not again. But of course, that's part of the military experience is to be cast into these pretty dark places. When you are cast into places like that, how do you hang on and uh, reaffirm your sense that God is present? That's a good question and a very valid one, I think. Um, my my uh, experience in those times has been that a regular um, rhythm of prayer is really critical. Uh, it can be hard to do, uh, particularly when you're on the move. It's easy to do in a ship, um, obviously, because uh, at least you're in and around the same place all the time. Um, that's so. So saying your prayers, and and I imagine that's um, an obvious answer. But also, I think as a naval chaplain, there is a sense that I am, I consider myself uh, part of a community. So I'm saying my prayers and remembering my brother and sister chaplains on a daily basis. Therefore, they also uh, are doing the same for me. Uh, and, and that's wonderful. Life at sea can imbue chaplains with a sense of mission and can place them in direct contact with the sailors for whom they're providing spiritual care. But for chaplains who have also served as parish ministers, it can sometimes mean a voyage of uncertainty and a degree of loneliness, all factors Ian Wheatley takes into account in selecting members of the Royal Navy's chaplaincy service. Stick them on a warship and send them out into the middle of the ocean, which, surrounded by a hundred people, um, where they will literally feel um, quite isolated sometimes uh, before uh, or whilst they build relationships in that community. Um, they need to be um, spiritually um, self-sustaining. Um, and that is very different to operating um, week by week, Sunday by Sunday, uh, among a uh, typically a congregation of people who uh, acknowledge you as their leader and, you know, uh, stroke you, support you, and then being parachuted in uh, to a ship or a, or, or a, a commando battalion uh, and having to um, carry on and not be, not feel quite as loved as perhaps they did before in a parish context. So, any sort of sense of how they handle adversity, how they um, keep themselves uh, going in adversity, how they pick themselves up and dust themselves off, uh, in uh, you know after a um, uh, after some sort of failure, um, and indeed if they've ever known failure, that these are quite difficult and honest questions that need to be asked and addressed. Um, because I need to be uh, as sure as I can that I'm not going to put somebody into a difficult position for them, uh, or at least not too difficult that they can't handle. And also, the last thing I want to do is to lumber a, uh, a ship or a commando unit with a chaplain who is unable to, um, to function. Spiritual caregivers in the Royal Navy strive to be available to sailors who may seek guidance on a range of personal problems, from military matters to family concerns. 
the chaplains seek to establish openness, accessibility, and a trustworthy presence. Reverend Ian Wheatley. There is this sense that chaplains are very privileged, and I'm privileged, to be invited into people's lives in a way that you never quite know what their needs will be, but they perceive that you can help them with those needs. And it tends to be uh, the chaplain who will um, have a breadth of outlook which won't immediately medicalise a problem or just acknowledge it as purely as a, um, a functional, administrative or executive issue, if you like. Is there a tendency for their problems to be instantly medicalized and therefore kind of dispensed with? Some areas. Um, so, for example, things like um, stress. Um, you know, if, if we're in the general resilience area, sometimes um, the first uh, sort of signs, if you like, uh, can be uh, outward stress signals. Um, which do tend to nowadays, and I think that's societal, uh, be, uh, th th there is a sort of uh, a temptation to medicalise and um, assume that Prozac actually is the answer to everything. Uh, and also, I mean, there, there are areas, our ever-growing understanding of um, post-traumatic stress reactions, particularly for um, combat uh, or post-combat situations, um, uh, and uh, moral injury, you know, which we're really, I think, just scraping the surface of now. Um, th th there are some areas that inevitably almost seem to be uh, medicalised, particularly when they, uh, they start to show physical symptoms. If you're able to explore realms beyond the medical, uh, where does that take you in your consultations with members of the armed forces you may be taking care of? It can go in several different directions. Um, sometimes there is a, uh, a desire to explore relationships, uh, which can, when people are absent um, from the people they love or they're close to, can sometimes give a, uh, a wonderful opportunity for them to be quite reflective about the quality of relationships and the importance of them and their role in them. Uh, so sometimes it can go there. Sometimes there is that um, sense that when you remove um, other stimuli uh, and import a level of danger, whether that's perceived personal danger or, or a more wide um, sort of uh, uh, military uh, worry, if you like. Um, they, th th some people do turn a bit more inwards and start to uh, explore uh, spiritual questions. Um, I hesitate to dive into no atheists in a foxhole in inverted commas, but you you understand that you know there there is a a sense in which people do um, perhaps reflect on their uh, mortality when they're faced with a, uh, a, a, a an increasing uh, level of possibility that uh, you know there is they are facing danger. Um, so certainly th there are I, I would suggest in my experience there are those two sort of um, areas that people tend to uh, default to so um, relationship 
um, and, and all those things that go with it. Uh, trust being a, a classic one. Um, and worry about how we might change as individuals uh, given uh, a period of separation and uh, a period of tension, perhaps. Ian Wheatley told me that although he is an ex-line officer, he regards himself as a pacifist, that his aim is to avert war, not seek it. Chaplains are unarmed even among hostilities. He hopes to provide a peaceful sign of God's presence. In a time of tension, one often expects to hear things like, are we doing the right thing? Is, is, this, is this moral? Is this licit? Though I wouldn't expect people to perhaps express it just like that. But um, that can be quite difficult. Um, as people just try and, you know, sort of um, work through their own motivations and feelings... Uh, and, and particularly as young people often, you know, didn't necessarily join the military to go to war. Uh, and that, seemed, that sounds really a uh, crass and stupid thing to say. But I think um, we like very much the idea of being um, part of a force for good. We like the idea of being um, uh, beneficial to the common good. But actually, when it comes down to... Um, having to potentially fight, then people do do some very uh, serious thinking um, around that, and it, that shouldn't be a surprise. Sometimes people are very squared away and have thought about it, you know, a lot beforehand, before they even joined, and resign themselves to, you know, if if that's what I need to do, that's what I need to do. Um, so I think there is some reflection um, at that time, uh, occasionally. There is more morbid reflection. You know, what, what happens if? Um, is there a God? If I die, what's going to happen to me? Um, and, and they can be very, um, I think, profoundly searching questions, even if they're sometimes uh, expressed in quite sort of naive ways. So are people asking, where is God in this horror show that... I'm witnessing? Yeah, uh, and that's not an uncommon question. If you are witnessing um, things that are very difficult to process or things that are really difficult to see and let alone process, the migrancy um, crisis in the Mediterranean, uh, that, that has involved some pretty difficult scenes of um, people adrift in, um, in, in dinghies in very difficult conditions and quite possibly uh, women and children, of course, and dead women and dead children, which we know um, psychologically is very upsetting because it, it, it goes against our, our sort of um, normal understanding of the way things should be. Um, so that, that sort of thing can prompt some uh, very searching questions. You know, how can this be? Is this right? How can God allow this? And just being able to um, spend time with people and, and allow them to to work out the answers to the questions, uh, and, well, and help them down the way. And and how do you help them uh, when they're confronting a scene that is incomprehensible in its pain, and yet they're trying to process? 
where's God in this? What is my responsibility in this? Is there truth? How do you help them get a handle on that? I think the often the only really helpful thing you can do um, is is to be there and help them to uh, broaden the question uh, and to try and understand uh, the context because sometimes that does um, you know at least suggest and and help them generate some if not answers uh, coping strategies. Um, so you do not see your role as trying to supply a direct answer when people are groping for one? I really struggle with that um, purely because I, I fear uh, platitudes. And sailors, um, sailors have a really good nose for BS, um, if I'm allowed to say that. But I think you know. Uh, well, we're, I mean. we're, we're, we're familiar with those initials, even on this <laughs> side of the pond. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I really struggle with um, uh, trite religious, religious answers because I, I just don't think that works. I, I, I like, if I can, to be able to uh, get to a place in a conversation that we may, may scrape away a few layers uh, and... Uh, you know, uh, get down to the concept that in spite of uh, what we see happening and unfolding in front of us, that uh, in spite of all that, that uh, I understand and I'm able to own that God loves me. Well, that's a wonderful thing if we can get to that place. But sometimes that's, as you know, that that's a difficult place to get to in one leap. And sometimes it won't happen today either. The Venerable Ian Wheatley in London, he serves as chaplain of the fleet for the Royal Navy and an archdeacon in the Anglican Church. Exploring the duties and challenges of chaplains who provide pastoral support for the military. You're listening to the Spiritual Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. To learn more and to access additional episodes of this podcast, along with other resources, please visit spiritualcarepodcast.org. As a teenager growing up in the Canadian province of Quebec, Guy Chapdelaine began thinking about a vocation as a Roman Catholic priest. On the suggestion of his father, a metal worker, he took a summer job earning a certificate that involved medical training with the Canadian military, where he hoped to learn first aid. That introduced him to a sense of community life he felt strongly drawn to. Then tragedy struck when one of the other young men in his section died in a car accident. And the chaplain came, and he was so compassionate, uh, so good, because he was just there with us, knowing that we were passing through a difficult time. And uh, I said to myself, what he has done to us, I would like to do it one day. I would like to become a chaplain, a military chaplain. Today, Padre Chapdelaine serves as Chaplain General for the Canadian Armed Forces. 
He directs 400 chaplains from various denominations. He sees his calling as a ministry of presence, to be there, to be open, to hear what people have to share. As a Catholic priest, my role is to minister to my Catholic constituents. As a military chaplain, I have a, a broader role to care for all. People with faith, no faith. We'll just give you an example in Kosovo, when I was in Kosovo. Uh, I knew that I had two Jewish soldiers with me. We were maybe 1,000 people, 1,200 uh, soldiers. And we had meetings together. We had meetings with all the chaplains. And I remember that I spoke to this rabbi. And I told him, I would love to have your visit in the Canadian camp because I have, I have two Jewish soldiers and I'm sure they will be happy to meet with you. And my role, it, it was just to build uh, a bridge. And I, I see my role as chaplain, as a bridge builder and to bring people together. And my role is to, um, to care for all the people who are with me. Why is it important to you to build bridges? It's important because it's part of who I am. It's the understanding of my role as a pastor. A peacemaker also, I will say peacemaker, I would like to be a peacemaker in my life. It's also the gifts I receive in my life. Uh, I like to build bridges. In our world, uh, we need to work together because the challenges are so important and, and the world is changing so much. We need to adapt very quickly. We need to work. We need to work together. We cannot just work in our our specific country and uh, to care for the soldiers now in the kind of missions that we have, smaller missions. In Canada, I cannot send two or three chaplains. In the past, we had larger contingent, and I was able to send a team of chaplains. Now I'm sending just one chaplain. Who will care for the chaplain? If we work together, we can care for each other with other nations. We can, and we have the same understanding of the role of chaplain, the chaplain caring for all. I think it's something that we, we share with all the chaplaincies. So how does connecting with people of a different religious belief change you as a person, help you to grow? You have to go back to who you are. If you want to interact with people from different faith groups, you need to know who you are, to be grounded in your own faith. And I realize in my ministry that those who have difficulty to interact with other faith groups. Sometimes they are not confident in their own, or they are scared. Sometimes they are just scared of the others. But when you know who you are, when you are comfortable in your own faith, it's much easier to enter in a relationship with others.
It's what I learned from this experience. And it's why I said also um, a couple of years ago to my my command, chain of commands, the mili military, but especially, spe especially the uh, chaplain's chain of command, I said, you, you talk about ecumenism, you talk about interreligious dialogue, but we have no specialists on these uh, questions. We have, it's not just to say that we are ecumenical or interreligious, what, what do we do to be more ecumen ecumenical and more interreligious to work together? And how do you answer that question? What, what are the activities, the training, the um, habits that can promote uh, dialogue and understanding? I will say be friend with, with a Muslim, to be friend with a Lutheran. I remember I was in Winnipeg. I was the only one in the team. We were four chaplains. For five chaplains, I had my team leader was an Anglican. Uh, two of my colleagues were a Lutheran couple. And at Christmas and Easter, I was alone. And every time, they were inviting me to join them for the Christmas dinner and for the Easter. What a wonderful experience. You don't see others the same the same way, because you have this experience of friendship, of respect, and um, on a human base. Are there times when there are difficulties, when it's hard to maintain respect for someone who may have a decidedly different approach to your own? Yeah, sometimes that could be. Uh, sometimes people are not open to talk or to, uh, to discuss or... People or, you're reaching out to? Yes, and, and people who have some understanding of the Catholic priests or they have their own view uh, on who is a Catholic priest without knowing who I am. And it's why I said uh, friendship is the key of ecumenism and interreligious dialogue because I, I have a lot of friends who, uh, who are very open to uh, ecumenism and interreligious dialogue, but sometimes I reach out and I see people who are very scared. What do you think they're scared of? Because they don't know who they are. It's just the, what the media are talking about. I remember a chaplain, uh, a Canadian chaplain, who went to study in France uh, in the ecumenism and interreligious dialogue and his wife uh, was with him and uh, and they were looking to go to um, to have dinner with a couple uh, and they were Muslim and she was very scared at the beginning uh, because she didn't know who they were and and she had some um, in French we'll say préjugé or your own idea of the others, the Muslim, and, uh, and, uh, and finally when she met this woman, they became friends. And she, she had another view of the others because she knew a person with a face, with uh, 
a friendship who brought her to see the world differently or to see the Muslim world differently. Well, and this relates to your comment that, you know, the, the essential practices to befriend someone, that just that simple act will shatter boundaries. Yes, I believe so. Padre Guy Chapdelin, Chaplain General for the Canadian Armed Forces. Earlier, we heard from the Reverend Ian Wheatley, Chaplain of the Fleet of the British Royal Navy. Spiritual Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Doug Sugertz. Editorial assistance from Andrew Andresco, Kathy Graham, David Cruz, and Ken Rogers. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Dr. John Hamry and to Tony Buck. The Spiritual Care Podcast is presented by Humankind Public Radio. To learn more and to access our other podcasts and related resources, please visit spiritualcarepodcast.org. That's spiritualcarepodcast.org. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher.